Welcome to another episode of the Get Back Coach presented by Apollo Media. Happy Bloody Monday or Tuesday, if you're listening right now. Uh, the coaching carousel is in full swing today. Multiple coaching changes have taken place. We're going to start off in Madison. Big news. Luke Fickle from Cincinnati built a successful program in Cincinnati uh, got to the college football playoff is now going to Wisconsin. Uh, Jay, initial thoughts. Uh, I mean, I think it's a great hire for Wisconsin. Uh, I think, you know, a little bit of a surprise uh, that they were able to pull him out of Cincinnati when he's said no to some other power five jobs. Uh, but, you know, going to the back to the big 10, uh, it, it seems like it will be a good fit. Uh, we'll see what he does uh, defensively, you know, uh, if if it works out. But hats off to Wisconsin. I think they did a, a good job pulling Luke Fickle away from Cincinnati. Yeah, I mean, here, here's the thing. I think Luke Fickle is a, is a really good football coach. I really do. But the thing with Wisconsin is I, I thought – I thought they had their guy in in uh, Jim Leonard, or as we call him, James Leonard. Um, I thought they had their guy. And it's just one of those things where why fire Chris that early? You, you know what I'm saying? Like, I thought what they were going to do is they fired Chris to kind of get kind of hand the keys over to James or to Jim Leonard. And it's just, I don't know. I I like Luke Fickle. I think he's a good coach. I think Jim Leonard kind of got screwed in this whole ideal. Um, they're going to have to start from scratch. But Luke Fickle has done that before, and he should be able to. Yeah, and I mean, the identity of Wisconsin is always going to be the identity of Wisconsin. I, I don't see that changing even with Fickle stepping in. Uh, they want to play a physical brand of football, uh, hard-nosed defense, good offensive line. And that, that's something that I think Fickle will be able to recruit too. Uh, and I think some of the issues that he's had at Cincinnati is, is recruiting there. Uh, obviously, Wisconsin's not going to recruit at the level of a Michigan or an Ohio State or a Penn State. But I think that he can boost the recruiting a little bit and, and get better players than he was getting at Cincy. Absolutely, and I think where it starts is the offensive line. I mean, you can kind of still keep that identity of Wisconsin. Um, Make sure you get big, tough offensive linemen, and then with that, that run game is going to come. Kind of like how those that Cincinnati team was like two years ago. You know, um, you know they had uh, Ritter. They they had some guys there, but also they were more of a you know, keep away type of football, you know, in your face, smash mouth, I'm going to control the clock, all that, which is all already Wisconsin's identity. Uh, Now I'm waiting for, I hope Jim Leonard at Cincinnati, because there's no way he's sticking around. Right. I don't think so. Uh, I think he'll probably get a head coaching job somewhere, but who knows? Uh, There is going to be a lot of open positions, so we'll we'll see what happens. A lot, which we will be getting into some of the open positions that are that have already uh, hit. Uh, David Shaw uh, steps down at Stanford. David Shaw has been he's been at Stanford for what eleven years. 
He's been 96 and 54 at Stanford, uh, the winningest coach in Stanford history. But the last four, they've had four losing seasons in a row. I think he thinks they should go in a different direction. He probably needs a, a new, um, some new scenery. But David Shaw out at Stanford, um, again, he, I mean, he won at Stanford. Like this guy can 100% get a job somewhere else. Yeah, he could. I, I just, you know, he's already accomplished quite a bit. I don't know what his next move is. This may be a deal where he takes a year off and kind of mm-hmm. uh, sees what he wants to do. And then for Stanford, I don't know where they go from here. Nah, uh, I have no idea. Because it, it's it depends on how much the administration wants to support the football program. And I, I just, I don't know where that interest level is right now. Uh, it's not, you know, obviously there's a lot of history out there at Stanford, but it's, it'll be interesting to see what happens here. Uh, I, I, I would be surprised to see maybe a hire that, you know, isn't necessarily inside the box. Mm -hmm. No. Yeah. I'm probably a guy that's maybe a little unproven, um, probably a, a top coordinator somewhere. Um, but listen, David Shaw, he's only 50 years old. So it, it, this isn't like, a, you know, he's going to resign and then kind of ride off into the sunset. But like you said, he might just take a year off, kind of see what's out there. And then when they, when a good opportunity comes up, he'll probably take it. Um, we're going to stay in the Pac-12 right now. Um, Arizona State hires Kenny Dillingham. Uh, old offensive coordinator for Oregon. He's kind of bounced around a little bit. This is a Arizona State graduate, which I think it is is huge. He understands the campus. He understands um, kind of the identity of Arizona State, or at least uh, understands the kind of the inner workings maybe of Arizona State. He's familiar with the college, which I think is huge um, to get to get people in that athletic department all on the same page because they were not all on the same page when Herm Edwards was there. So you kind of went from, and like you were saying before, with with uh, like a Stanford maybe going outside the box. Arizona State went outside the box. Now they're going with an in-house guy, an Arizona State guy. Yeah, uh, one thing that is interesting is I think uh, he's, he's a pretty young guy. I mean, he's 32 years old. Is this the... Uh... Going to be the only coach that was born in the 90s uh, that's a head coach in NCAA right now. He's 32. Uh, yeah, 1990 was uh, the date of birth wow. uh, for Kenny Gillingham. Me, so. That makes me feel real old. <laughs> you and and both, makes, it makes me feel that I've underachieved in life. Um, <laughs> but Same. 30, 30, <laughs> 32 years old, head coaching job. I mean, that's – how old was King, Kingsbury? Because uh, – he was pretty. I'll young have to too. look at that. Yeah, but I do know. I'm, I mean, I'm pretty sure that that uh, I am pretty sure that Dillingham is the only coach that's been born in the '90s. That's been the head coach. So Kingsbury is 43 right now. Uh, when he took the Texas Tech coaching job, he was probably 33 because it was 2013, which that seems like a yeah yesterday but oh wow yeah so Dillingham may be just a little bit younger I mean hey maybe that's what they need again 
It, listen, if, if anything, he's going to get experience. I mean, this is a jumping off point for him. Even if it's a total failure, um, he'll be able to at least keep his name somewhere. He'll get that head coaching experience. If, if it doesn't work out the first time, um, he'll probably go back to being a coordinator and then probably get a head coaching job again. But I think Arizona State, I think that's the right move after the Herm Edwards debacle. Um, I do think that's the the right move for them, getting an Arizona State guy in there. Um, we're going to move on to Texas State. You and I kind of had a little more high hopes for Texas State this year. Uh, Jake Spavadol is let go from Texas State. He was there for, I want to say, four years, and he only won 13 games. Um, we thought this yeah. was the year he was going to put it together, and it just never panned out. Yeah, and, and he had a, a kind of a different approach where they went into the portal heavy uh, at Texas State. Uh, so whoever goes into that job next is going to need to rebuild the the relationships with Texas high school football coaches who are notoriously uh, a little bit of egos to deal with. Uh, that's going to be some kind of uh, relationship repairing there at Texas State. Uh, you know, Spavadol will probably get an offensive coordinator job going back. I mean, you know, he was offensive coordinator under Kevin Sumlin for a little bit at Texas A&M uh, while I was there. Uh, generally regarded as one of the brighter offensive minds uh, in the country. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then he was under Dana at West Virginia for a little bit yep. as well. Uh, so we'll see where he goes next. But I do think whoever Texas State brings in next, they're, they're probably going to want to have somebody with Texas connections uh, just to kind of repair some of that relationship that's that's been kind of absent with Spavadol's, uh approach through the NCAA portal. Yeah, and I think that's what you kind of have to do, especially in Texas. I think you need a guy with some Texas ties because, like you said, you're going to have to recruit Texas hard. And if you have a guy that has those ties and if you have a guy that is going to be, you know, shaking the hands and sometimes maybe even kissing the babies and all that, all that good stuff, um, you know, I think you need that type of guy in Texas uh, that's going to kind of smooth over some of the head coaches and build those relationships. Um, So, yeah, so Texas state um, has to get someone of that caliber. Jake Spavadol, he'll be back as top coordinator. He'll be somewhere. Definitely. Um, I saw smoke and musket said, pour one out for uncle Jake today. So (laughs) they're, uh, so yeah, they're keeping their eye on him. Um, So uh, Tulsa, which you were just at Houston watching Tulsa. Yeah, this one is a little bit personal for me just because I have a friend on the the Tulsa staff. And, uh, you know, Philip Montgomery, by all uh, accounts, is just a fantastic human being. Uh, you know, it, it's it's always tough. I mean, this this business is just, you know, it's, it's pretty ruthless. Uh, so... Kind of a bummer to see Philip Montgomery out. Uh, obviously, they're coming off a pretty big upset win against Houston to close out the season. But, uh, you know, 43-53 record during his time at Tulsa. Uh, two bowl-eligible years start out, the se- uh, start out his career at Tulsa. Uh, obviously, he had 2016, which was a good year. It was 10-3. And, mm-hmm. and then there's a really bad middle stretch where Tulsa goes 2-10, 3-9, 4-8. Uh, Tulsa kind of bounces back in 2020, uh, the COVID year where they go to the uh, American Championship against Cincinnati, um, play them pretty tough uh, in Nippert. But, uh, 
you know, 2021, last year they were bowl eligible. This year they finished five and seven, and, and Tulsa has kind of decided to move on. Uh, I think a uh, uh, name to keep an eye on here uh, may be G.J. Kenny at uh, Incarnate Word. Uh, oh. G.J. Kenny, former uh, Tulsa quarterback, uh, obviously a lot of ties there in the program, and he has Incarnate Word in the FCS playoffs in his first yep. year head coach. Uh, before this, GJ was at uh, Central Florida under Gus uh, as offensive coordinator. So <clears throat> he's definitely a name to watch. Uh, you know, you up there in, in in Pennsylvania, you may be familiar with him uh, from some of his Philadelphia Eagles exploits as uh, <laughs> as a member of the the roster and and a coaching staff. Uh, he he's been around Philly a little bit as well, uh, but I think he may be a name to watch up there at Tulsa. Is this his first? Was this his first year at Incarnate Word? I guess that. What yes, this right? this is his first year. Uh, I believe he was replacing Eric Morris, who mm-hmm. I think could be a name to, to watch for that Texas State gig. Mm-hmm. No, I mean Incarnate Word this year. I mean, uh, listen, I know Nevada's not that good this year, but like I remember they beat Nevada. They're putting up major points, which I think is something that, like you said, definitely watch out for, especially if he has that Tulsa tie. Maybe that's why they kind of cut Philip Philip Montgomery a little shorter. I I know he's doesn't have a 500 record, but they're, they were kind of, looks like they were consistently at least going to bowl games. Then they played everybody tough. I think Tulsa was one of those teams that always was competitive. I mean, earlier this year, they were hanging tough with Ole Miss. Uh, It's it's a team that generally plays whoever they're playing against pretty tough, but uh, mm-hmm. we'll see. Uh, you know, uh, like I said, this one's kind of a little bit personal for me, but we'll, we'll see what happens at Tulsa. Yep. Um, and then Willie Taggart fired at Florida Atlantic. Uh, Willie Taggart, three seasons at Florida Atlantic, and he went 15 and 18 in that span. Um, I want to see because I'm not sure how Florida Atlantic, if they were bowling at all. So Willie Tiger's first year. He's he's got three seasons with with five wins. One of those was the the 2020 year where they only played eight games, so they went five and three, and then the next two seasons were five and seven. Florida Atlantic's about to go to the American Conference, and I think they just kind of want some. Let's just start from uh, scratch. Yeah. Uh, before before they head to the new conference, a little more uh, difficult than Conference USA as well. Oh, definitely. Um, and again, you know, it, it's gonna be, it's not gonna be pretty to start, but it might be what you need right now. Um, just you know, burn it down and and try and build it back up again. You know, uh, Florida Atlantic really hasn't been. I mean since when Lane I mean they they were relevant when a little bit when Lane Kiffin was there and then when he left which I think he, Kiffin was only there for what two years I think I think so yeah I think it was there for two it, it it wasn't any more than two but they were decent and then Tiger takes over and it's been yeah a little underwhelming um but Willie Tiger he'll he's like a journeyman so Lane Kiffin was at uh for Atlantic for 3 years Oh, he was. Uh, 17 okay. to 19. 17 to 19. Wow, okay. Um, yeah, Willie Tiger, he's a journeyman. He He's going to pop up somewhere in the SEC um, as a coordinator or something. He'll. This ain't the last we've heard from him. And then 
on Sunday, a little, I think this is a little surprising, but Willie Fritz, not official yet, or it might be by the time people are listening to this, but right now the rumor is uh, Willie Fritz to Georgia Tech. Willie Fritz has been at Tulane. Uh, right now, they, Tulane has a really good football team, a football team that has dealt with injuries, um, and they're doing really well right now. I'm trying to pull up his record here. So, technically, at Tulane, he is 41 and 45. Okay, um, this year he has a 10 and 2 record with the Green Wave. He's going to be playing in the American Championship. Um, last year they were bad; they were two and ten. But before that, six and six, seven and six, seven and six. Um, you know, in his third year. So, I don't know. I, I I like Willie Fritz. I really do. But with saying that, Georgia Tech, I think, is going to have to have a lot of patience here. I really do. Here's the issue with Willie Fritz, and maybe it's because they thought they were getting an energetic hire and Jeff Collins coming in, uh, and they, they kind of want to steer away from it. I... I still think you kind of have to have a little bit of energy there in Atlanta uh, to to recruit at the rate that you want to. Uh, Willie Fritz, no offense to Willie. I, I think both of us are fans of Willie Fritz and what he's done at Tulane. Hey, listen. Uh, and, I mean, even before that, Sam Houston State and Delaware, uh, you know, in the past. Uh, well, I don't think he was at Delaware, but no. at, at the FCS at, uh... level. Georgia, he, he went to he was at Georgia Southern for a couple of college. Okay, uh, Georgia Southern. Uh, he's sixty two years old. I mean, he he's not going to have the energetic approach that you maybe want for a, a new coach at a Power Five level. Uh, you know, and and I get that the trend has kind of been younger coaches, and that may be why this is a little bit of a surprise, but. Uh, it's an interesting one for Georgia Tech. We'll see if they have the patience to let it play out. And, you know, maybe I'm wrong here, but a, a lot of folks at Georgia Tech aren't necessarily thrilled about this hire. I know Willie Fritz is a good football coach. I just don't know if this is going to work out, mm-hmm. if if Georgia Tech fans and boosters are going to have the patience to let him kind of build what he needs to build. And that's the thing. Is he going to be, is he going to be able to recruit? And that's that's what I don't know, because and I know people will say, well, you know, Tulane's doing good right now. Yeah, but it's a different style of football. You know, there is a reason. And I saw this. I didn't bring it up when we were talking about Fickle. But, you know, some people at Wisconsin aren't too crazy about Luke Fickle because they see they kind of see a Scott Frost situation where really successful in the group of five. And then they go to a power five and try and run it the same way and recruit it the same way. And it's, it, it, it just doesn't work. Um, I, I hope that's not the case. I really like Willie Fritz. I enjoy watching Tulane play. I've enjoyed watching Tulane play for a number of years now, but I don't know if Willie Fritz was going to be that guy. Um, you know, I even said, and I kind of con- I'm going to kind of contradict myself a little bit, but I think you you said it too. But 
I wouldn't mind Georgia Tech taking Deion Sanders just because you know he's going to be able to recruit. Yeah. And it's going to give it's going to put a spark in your program. He's going to be able to recruit and you're at least going to have some Jimmys and Joes to give you a boost. And then if it's a couple years later and you're only winning 8 games, you know, not, you know, if you're not happy with eight wins a year or maybe nine wins a year and you would say, hey, we want to take a next step and move on, then fine. But I don't know if Willie Fritz is going to give you that spark you need. Yeah. You know, and I like Willie. Yeah. And I mean, so I agree with all that. But, you know, there's a few other rumors that are, are less concrete that we haven't talked about. Uh, Hugh Freeze to Auburn. I mean, we talked about Lane Kiffin. <sighs> uh last week and it looks like Lane Kiffin is staying uh in the sip to quote him uh looks like he's gonna get an extension and be there in Oxford for a little bit longer uh Auburn looks like Hugh Freeze may be the deal but nothing is concrete there that'll be an interesting one uh Dion apparently has interest in the Colorado job and that interest is is mutual uh, which that is a hell of a rebuild he would have to do, but like mm-hmm. you said, he would be able to recruit, so that would be uh, that'd be interesting. I mean, if he can get five stars to come to Jackson State, um, he can probably do it at a Power Five program too. Oh, absolutely! In Colorado, like when Colorado's decent, like Colorado is a fun place to be. Boulder, Colorado yeah. is fun. Here's the thing with Colorado that that I'm a little surprised: it gets cold in Colorado. Okay. <laughs> Deion Sanders is not shy about saying how much he hates the cold. So I don't know how that's going to be. I'm very much excited to wa- see Deion Sanders in like layers upon layers of coats on the sideline. Um, but if that does happen, yes, it's the same thing at Georgia Tech. It's going to give you a spark. He's going to be able to recruit. And he's at least going to make things interesting where there's going to be a little bit of a buzz. And if it doesn't work out, it doesn't work out. But at least you have a bit of a spark around that program. And you get at least some high-profile guys to actually go there. Um, Lane, Hugh Freeze. I think Hugh Freeze is a great football mind. I do. I, uh, I just don't know if I can get over everything else. There's that, and I mean, he's never apologized for everything that he's went on never apologized, <laughs> right? Like, he has it. The, you know, the worst part about this is if Hugh Freeze leaves, <laughs> Liberty probably hires Art Bryles. I mean, <laughs> probably the, the way that care. place is run, no, at all. Uh, so you know, Hugh Freeze also believes in the legend of Hugh Freeze quite a bit. Uh, some people are, are postulating that, that he is the one that leaked the rumors uh, of him to Auburn just because he wanted people to, to be talking about him uh, in the media. Oh, and I feel like that's such that's a huge freeze thing to do. That is such a huge freeze thing. I just, man. I think I Auburn know. can do better. I think they can too. Um, like I said. I think Hugh Freeze is a great football mind. And if if there wasn't so much baggage, I would be okay with Hugh Freeze to Auburn. But there's just so much baggage. There's so much baggage there. Um, and 
you want to talk about Lane Kiffin, let's, I think this is a good time to go into our um, recap of the week. Um, let's get into the Egg Bowl and talk about Lane Kiffin for a little bit. Uh, there were Auburn chants um, in Oxford when Mississippi State took the took the lead against Ole Miss. No. There were, because um, for everybody who was not aware, um, there were rumors for at least, oh, what, about 10 days that Lane Kiffin is going to take the job at Auburn. He was going to leave Ole Miss. And when you are losing to your rival at home, people tend to think you are disinterested. And the crowd started chanting, Auburn. Auburn, and it was quite a scene. Um, I don't think that uh, Ole Miss fans, you know, and I'm, there are some good Ole Miss fans that I appreciate and treasure mm-hmm. that I have in my life, but there are. There are. Uh, Ole Miss fans maybe don't have the uh, best football IQ uh, when, it, when it comes to certain things. Uh, and I get being a little bit frustrated about, you know, having coaches leave you uh, and and you know not beating your in-state rival, which I think this is the first time that Lynn Kiffin has lost the Egg Bowl, mm-hmm. uh, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, but I believe so. regardless, I mean, it, it's kind of a bad look to uh, be chanting about a rumor when your coach is actually signing an extension. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know and. Lane is a mixed bag too, but uh, that was uh, it was an interesting contest. I mean, the Egg Bowl is always chaotic. There were some wild things kind of happening. There was the whistle blown early on a on a backwards pass, and Ole Miss had guys in position to recover it, and they stopped because of the whistle. And Mississippi State's linebacker picks it up. Uh, then Will Rogers goes down and fumbles it. Will Rogers had a couple fumbles in the game that yeah, gave too. Ole Miss life. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, Ole Miss has a chance to, to tie it up there at the end uh, with a two-point conversion. Ooh, did we Pass lose? That deal that Ooh. didn't end up working out. Uh, Jay, I think I lost you. Uh-oh. Uh-oh, we lost Jay. Um, so before Jay gets back here, um, I'm just going to finish off the Mississippi State at Ole Miss well, recap here. Um, what Jay was saying, uh, we had yeah, Will Rogers, multiple fumbles. Um, you had yeah, Ole Miss had a shot to take this game back towards the end, and they just couldn't get it done. Oh, I think we have Jay back. Jay, you back? Can you hear me? I, I can now. Uh, you were just saying about how um, Will Rogers fumbled twice and, you know, Mississippi State – or, sorry, Ole Miss had a shot to kind of um, retake that lead but just could never fight, get that next step. Yeah, uh, and there at the end of the game, you know, they have the, the chance with the two-point conversion to tie it. They go with that little shovel pass that uh, really was a good play by the defensive lineman to kind of break it up because uh, I think they would have scored on it. Uh, but mm-hmm. one thing that was funny was I think Mississippi State depended on the run quite a bit, and I just wonder how much that ate at Mike Leach's soul that to run the ball as much as he 
Okay. Now I, I have you again. All right, okay. let's do this. Uh, here we go. So you don't you want were me saying about, about the egg bowl. <laughs> no, yeah. You know, it's it's almost perfect that the whole uh, internet gets chaotic uh, talking about the egg bowl because the egg bowl is always chaos. Um, so it is fitting. Um, but you were saying about Mike Leach, um, about how it kind of ate at him because he had to keep running the football. Yeah, uh, they, they definitely depended on uh, the run a little bit more than they normally do. So that's. Uh, that's I thought they could have ran it. I thought they could have ran it more. Like I, I was so watching too. it, and I was just like, I was like, they could literally they control the trenches of this football game, and I'm like, oh my god, I was like, they could just keep running the football, and they refused um, until towards the end. But listen, Mississippi State had 15 tackles for losses in this game. 15. Um, they really, which is not Mississippi State's mo about controlling the line of scrimmage, but they did. And I've said this all year that Ole Miss, they have a difficult time controlling up front. And that's how they're going to get into trouble when they play better teams. And again, they were sitting at ninth in the country. And I'm sitting here, I'm like, they're not good up front. They're going to get exposed. And what better team to expose them than their dreaded in-state rival? Um also, did you see Lane Kiffin's kid on the sideline? Yeah, with the fire extinguisher. With, with the fire he, was extinguisher. A, he was having a great time. That was awesome. That was, again, college football, stupid sport that we all love. Also, it was really cool. Will Rogers gave a, like his towel to um, Kiffin's kid after it, and they got mm-hmm. a nice little dap up. So that, that was really cool to see. But listen, Lane Kiffin, let's just talk about Lane for a second here. Uh, first year was 2020 at Ole Miss, went five and five. Um, probably in a normal year, that is probably seven, eight wins. Okay. Um, and then they went 10, 10 and three. Now they're at eight and four, a bit of a down. Um, again, they lost. Oh my God, I forgot. Who's that quarterback name from last year? I can't think of his name. Uh, Matt Corral. Corral. Right. Oh my God, I can't. I believe I forgot that guy's name. Anyway, the last year that they, they had Matt Corral. This year, Jackson Dart, who, who is very good, but not the same. They have a little bit of a rebuild going on. And now, just because things leaked that he was leaving, now all the old Miss fans are saying, "Oh, I hope he's gone. Just leave already." Eight and four, blah blah. blah. Like, listen, you are Ole Miss. You are going to have eight and four years. You're, you're not going to have double digit year wins every year. Um. And also, you, you talked about the Ole Miss fans' IQ. Isn't it a little – isn't it ironic that Ole Miss went nuts about Tennessee throwing things on the field, which was credible, and then they were throwing things on the field? Now, granted, it was because of officials and not – well. I guess the Tennessee one's a little bit of official, but also had to do with Lane. But they were also throwing things on the field, which apparently a chair got onto the field as well. Like, again, it's be careful what you say about other programs because your program is just as crazy as that when given the opportunity. All fans have bad fans. 
All and, fans, and, yeah. And it will always be, you know, funny to me when people say, oh, we would never do that. And I'm like, there's a sizable portion of your fan base that actually would. So yes. Uh, yes. be careful throwing stones. Exactly. When uh, you live in glass houses. And we and in the college football community, we all live in glass houses. Yeah. Every single one of us. Um, Only one giant glass house. <laughs> it is one giant glass house. Um, Friday, Tulane and Cincinnati's five-year win streak in Nippert. I believe it was 32 home wins in a row. Listen, this was a great game. If you did not watch this game, it was on at noon on Black Friday. It was absolutely – it was great fundamental football. Um, a little bit of a grounded pound type of game, good defense being played. Both teams did rush for over 220 yards, not a whole lot going on through the air. A couple breakdowns here and there, but this was a fantastic football game. Tulane ends up on top, ending the nipper streak for Cincinnati. Um, Jay, this was a fantastic football game. Yeah, I mean, it was just uh, hard-nosed football. Man, I mean, they're running, uh, running down each other's throats. It was a lot of fun to watch. This is kind of what you love out of the American Conference, right? Like the group of five football that we talk about. Like this is exactly what we want to watch, uh, and, and it's it's fun to just kind of see both these teams compete. Uh, you know, in that Black Friday spot, I think you know Texas Baylor was also on, but. This was the game that I was watching uh, before heading up to the the bar to, to watch the USA play England. Yeah, I mean, I was I was watching a lot of Baylor Texas, but I was always flipping back for Tulane Cincinnati, and you know, once Texas kind of took control of that Baylor game, I was like all into this um, Tulane Cincinnati game. Um, so now Tulane is going to play. Uh, UCF in the American Championship. We're going to be talking about talking more about that later on. Um, we're going to stay with Friday. We're going to go to the ACC, though. North Carolina loses at home to North Carolina State. Again, another team that does not control the trenches. Another team that I have said was not as good as people thought they were. Um, I do feel bad for North Carolina's kicker. But listen, NC State, ton of injuries. Um, you know, Devin Leary, uh, starting quarterback, like the heartbeat of the team. North Carolina State has really rebounded decently well after after a lot of uh, uncertainty on their roster. Um, North Carolina gave up 24 points, which does not sound like a lot. But NC State's offense is not good. They have too many guys out. And again, just apply a little bit of pressure to that North Carolina offense and you're going to be in that game because they're going to give up points. Um, Also, North Carolina only had six quarterback hurries the entire game. Again, I don't think that's a whole lot. Um, I, I thought NC State did a really good job of protecting quarterback, only gave up one sack, and NC State ends up taking care of this in overtime. This uh, this is one of those rivalries that kind of flies under the radar, but it has been super chaotic <laughs> of late. Uh, you know, we get a overtime game after 
the the massive comeback from NC State last year. Uh, it, it's just been a lot of fun. And, uh, you know, like you said, North Carolina is just not controlling the, the trenches. Uh, it's an NC State team that has had a ton of injuries but still able to find ways to win. Uh, the ACC just has not looked good this year. And <clears throat> don't think North Carolina has much of a chance against Clemson just because Clemson can, can kind of push them around up front. But uh, I'm sure we'll talk about that in the preview. Uh, next up was Nebraska and Iowa. Uh, this was a little bit of a shocker to me. Uh, mm-hmm. Nebraska ends up winning this one. Uh, Iowa has two losses to two four and eight teams now in Iowa State and Nebraska. I'm sure they're going to be kicking themselves uh, at the end of this when they had a chance to win, or not to win, but to to go to the Big Ten Championship. Oh, absolutely. And again, uh, Iowa, if you ask Iowa fans who, who they really don't like, um, it's, it's Iowa State, it's Minnesota, and then it's Nebraska. So you lose to two teams that you really don't like. And one of those teams is a the probably the biggest dumpster fire out there outside of Colorado, but it just looks bigger because it's a, it's a blue blood program. But I just, I've never seen an Iowa team play this undisciplined and shoot themselves in the foot constantly. Never. It was crazy. And now granted Petrus was out. So I know that that doesn't help matters, but Iowa was just shooting themselves to the foot. And then, to make matters worse, Nebraska almost did Nebraska things in late in the third quarter or early in the fourth where I'm thinking to myself, oh, my God, they're going to Nebraska this this game away. But I think that they had an interception towards the end to seal it. But just what a, just what a roller coaster of a game. Yeah. I uh, I feel bad for our buddy Jeffrey the Greek. I mean that's uh that's a tough one to swallow. But uh, yeah, one thing we didn't talk about uh, in the coaching changes earlier, Matt Rule uh, was officially announced as the the head coach uh, in Nebraska going forward. Uh, that's a hire that I think is a good one. I mean he's mm-hmm. turned around a few programs, and uh, you know I, I don't know what the max lifespan of him at Nebraska is, uh, but I think he'll uh get some things going there and you know i think he'll get above 500 i think he'll have him in a bowl game at least uh without question he matt rule is a program builder and i know a lot of people have already said that already but he is look at him at temple look at him at baylor um again baylor after our bryles it was bad down there and he really built them back up now there are some Nebraska fans that are a little re- reluctant to this. I think some of them love Mickey Joseph, which, hey, he's a hard guy not to love. But I, you need to be a little outside the box here. Not, not outside the box. You need a good hire. Okay, you cannot make an emotional hire here. Um, and we didn't really talk about this much, but I think the same thing with Auburn and Cadillac Williams. Like, if, if, if you kept Cadillac Williams, it's going to make you feel good. But then, like, I, halfway through the year, you're going to be like, wait, what have we done? Like, we shouldn't have kept this guy. He, he, he's not ready yet. 
Um, and if you keep him on staff, like that's the other thing. If Nebraska keeps Mickey Joseph on staff, again, similar to Cadillac Williams and Auburn, and things don't go well right away, you're going to have some of the fan. You're going. You're going to create turmoil within the coaching staff. You have to bring in all of your guys. It, and I know a lot of people. I don't know if they understand that. Like, you don't just say, "Oh yeah, you're a really good coach. You're going to stay on my staff." No, like, I've seen it, and I don't know if you have, Jay, but like, uh, and again, it's a smaller level than than what you what you're what you've experienced. But when you have coaching staffs that are not on the same page it can get ugly and it creates dysfunction so you need to keep your staff in there and i think matt rule is going to do that also stop bringing up about how he failed in the pros and about how his rank he has i think he's also i think he only has one win against a ranked opponent ever it's a very small sample size. And on top of that, you want to talk about the pros. Um, name me any successful college coach that didn't, that, that worked out in the pros. Yeah. I think we go through this all the time where there are coaches that have been in college and then been successful in the pros, but they were guys that were already pro guys. Uh, Pete Carroll is the one. Yeah, yeah. Pete Carroll and Jim Harbaugh are the ones that come to mind where, Pete right. Carroll was, you know, with the Patriots before he was at USC. Uh, Jim Harbaugh had some NFL experience as well. Uh, let's, you know, talk about coaches that were college coaches that weren't successful in the NFL, have gone back down to the college level and had success. I mean, Chip Kelly doing great things yeah. at UCLA this year. Uh, Nick Saban may ring a bell. I mean, didn't have the greatest tenure at Miami. Uh, nope. Hate him. You look at <laughs> – sorry, I didn't mean to bring Ruined up – Ruined Ricky spot. Williams. Yep, sorry. Yeah, sorry. Uh, even though, you know, things ended up not going super well uh, once he ended up back at Arkansas, uh, the the end wasn't graceful. Bobby Petrino obviously <laughs> left Louisville for Atlanta, uh, did not do well, left, left the NFL. Uh, left you know, left he, very he poorly, ghosted him. but – Yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah. He did have success at Arkansas until, you he know, did. the fateful uh, incident. <laughs> but, you know, just because a guy wasn't successful in the uh, the league doesn't mean he won't be successful at the NCAA level. So I, I don't think there's a reason for people to panic over that. Now, you could say, well, the game's changed a little bit, NIL and everything. Uh, that could be a legitimate concern, but I still think that uh, Matt Rule should do well at Nebraska. Yeah, of I said I the same thing about Scott Frost, so who knows? Yeah, um, I think he turns Nebraska into at least an eight-win football team every year. And I think he can build them. I, I really do. I, I I am a believer. I am a believer in Matt Rule. Um, let's get to Saturday. Let's get to Saturday. Um, we're going to start off with the game. Um uh, Michigan bullies Ohio State again. I didn't think it was going to happen. I thought Ohio State would for sure beat them again, that they kind of circled that on their calendar. Michigan's second-half adjustments were absolutely amazing. Shutting down Ohio State, uh, help really setting the tone in the run game again. 
Michigan rushed for over 250 yards. Uh, both teams protected the quarterback really well. Um, now Michigan took advantage. So here's the thing. Michigan did the same thing they did to Penn State. It, they waited for man coverage. They would run off the corners in a, like with a drag, anything to like outside, anything off tackle. And then if the linebacker doesn't fill perfectly, it, you're, you're getting gashed every time. It's almost like you have to play. I think you have to play zone against Michigan. Like you have to. Because if you play man-to-man, they're going to take advantage of their – it's going to be their big guys against your big guys, and they're going to win. They're, like, forcing teams to play zone against them, and when y- you can't do it. Yeah, it's uh, – honestly, I think Michigan has a pretty good shot at, at knocking off Georgia this year uh, going oh, yeah, forward be just because of – of what they're kind of able to do. Yeah, I know you wouldn't love that, but uh I'd be absolutely sick. At least you could rub it in the SEC's face. I know you like no, that. No. It wouldn't uh, even No, wouldn't. not that one. <laughs> Ohio Anyways. State, here's the thing. Ohio State I could because Ohio State will probably always be better than Penn State. They're a better program without a doubt. Penn State and Michigan are kind of mirror images of each other. Um the Michigan has a little bit more history than Penn State does, um, but how they operate is are very similar. And I, I always say it, it's it's the battle for the second best in the Big Ten. It, you know, for about four years, Penn State was the second best. Uh, some there were a couple of years where Michigan State was. Um, now it looks like it's Michigan's turn. And oh God, if Rutgers just made a field goal in 2020, Harbaugh would have been gone. And none of this would have happened. And <laughs> you know what? It's Rutgers. That's whose fault this is. This is Rutgers' fault. It always yeah. comes back to Rutgers. If Rutgers makes a field goal, Jim, they would have fired Jim Harbaugh, and we wouldn't even be talking about this. Um, now, I would be sick if it happened. Do I think Michigan can beat Georgia? I do. I do think they can beat Georgia. The problem is I do think – Georgia's offense is better than Michigan's. And I think that is going to be the, that's kind of going to be the X factor. I think both their defenses are very good. Georgia's isn't as good as last year. I think Michigan's this year, they're, they don't have those heavy hitters on the, at the edge position, but they're a lot more well-rounded than they were last year. But, um, Michigan bullies Ohio State again, um, and yeah, it's I, – again, I say it every week. It goes to show you do not do not overreact to one or two bad years. Yeah. Because Jim well, Harbaugh is doing really well. He is, he is coaching circles around Ryan Day, and he did it. And it proved last year wasn't a fluke. Yeah. And also, speaking of, uh, Ohio State fans, I mean – I realized that I kind of said that Ryan Day walked into a fantastic situation, but it's one loss. One loss. I mean, I get that that's your rival. That's the team that you have to beat. But can we stop calling for Ryan Day's head just because you lose one game? I mean, I get that there are some legitimate concerns regarding the trenches, but, I mean, come on. 
you know, it's funny because I talked to um, I'm, I'm, I am going to shout out Mr. Ohio here because I, I did talk, uh, I did kind of talk to him a little bit, and, and he said that you know in the '90s, Ohio State fans don't talk about Ohio State football in the '90s because even though they all had really good teams, they they weren't good against Michigan, and he said because of that they don't really talk about it. he said you have to beat michigan they look down now mr ohio didn't say this but i am they look down on michigan okay they feel like they are a superior program than them and they should not be losing it and again ryan day's words in the big 10 press conference in the media days might bite them because he said at some programs, at some programs, going to the Rose Bowl is a really successful year, but it's not at Ohio State. Listen, you have to take it into consideration. You have to give tough context. Because when it's all or nothing and you don't get the all, there's going to be some problems. There's going to be some trouble in paradise. And I, I'm not saying it's going on at Ohio State. But I think it could potentially happen because of that all-or-nothing thing. Jimbo Fisher had that at Florida State, and it ended in disaster. Okay, I'm not saying it's going to happen at Ohio State because I just think they have they have too much of everything, too much resources. It's a football factory that they run there. But be be careful with your expectations and and kind of check yourself and give put it into context because the only other the only other um, program that is as consistent as Ohio state or more consistent than Ohio state is Alabama. That's the only one. Yeah. Georgia's is at a peak right now, but over the last 10 years, it's Ohio state and Alabama Clemson. Yeah. Kind of mixed in there. Okay. But now they're kind of falling off a tiny, a tiny bit, but it's Ohio state and Alabama two most significant, two most successful programs in the last 10 years and Ohio state fans be like, it's not the end of the world. They might still get yeah. in the playoff. Yeah. They have a really good chance. If, uh, if uh, Utah is able to score the upset uh, for the second time in the Pac-12 championship, but uh, you brought up Clemson uh, great point to transition. Uh, so I didn't call Michigan upsetting or beating Ohio state. I wouldn't call it an upset this year, even though they weren't favored. Uh, I did, you know, say South Carolina was somebody to watch money line uh, against Clemson. And, uh, hey, Shane Beamer, I mean, he's doing a fantastic yep. job. Closing out the season with two huge wins. Uh, South Carolina beats Tennessee last week. They beat their in-state rival Clemson for the first time in, I think, seven games this week. And they also snap what was a massive home winning streak for Clemson uh, in their version of Death Valley. Uh, So hats off to Beamer. I mean, South Carolina just kind of made plays at the end of the game. Uh, It was a deal where Clemson has a lead uh, at halftime, and the Gamecocks just battled constantly. Spencer Rattler... For as much flack as he gets, I think he had a uh, fantastic second half of the football game. 
Yeah, South Carolina's offense is really starting to come into their own. Listen, Clemson's defense is really good. They had 11 tackles for losses. But South Carolina just took advantage of some explosive plays in there. Um, also, if you want proof that special teams is a third of the game, watch this one. Clemson, two major fumbles on special teams. That really helps South Carolina. Um, and South Carolina's punter, too, uh, before we forget. Yes. Pinning, pinning Clemson back deep a few times mm-hmm. there at the end of the game uh, mm-hmm. to, to help with the field position battle. It's that old Beamer ball. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It is. It's it's Beamer ball. And it's just, again, South Carolina is a scrappy team. They're always going to be scrappy. They're going to be tough. And with Shea Beamer there, that's what they're going to be. I hope, I hope they get to a level where they can win eight, nine games every year. I don't think they're ever going to be a team that's going to be a 10-win team every year. I don't think that's kind of in their DNA, so to say. But eight, nine wins, I think Shane Beamer can get there, and I think they are climbing. This team has improved from last year, but the offense seems like it's clicking at the right. I, I wish the offense would have been clicking a little bit earlier. You know? Yeah, and... I mean, that's – it's a little bit frustrating for South Carolina. Obviously, there were some early season struggles, but, you know, I, I still think you just have to tip your hat to, to what Beamer has been able to accomplish here at the end of the season, setting him up for uh, a, a great place uh, to go into 2023. And I think there's a little more excitement in Columbia than there has been in a while, which, you know, as an A&M fan who has to, to play South Carolina from the East – uh, every year, I was a little bit worried about with Shane Beamer going in, but you know, he's just one of those guys that you'd run through a wall for. Uh, so oh, excited to see that happen. Uh, next up, we have the the jeweled shillelagh, uh, Notre Dame at USC. Uh, USC basically controlled the whole game. I mean, it you know, Notre Dame kept it somewhat close. I just think that you know, USC proved that they were better constantly and you know given how Notre Dame has kind of come on at the end of the season uh this is a good win for USC uh mm-hmm. it's a really good win you know I think it gives the committee a little bit more faith in USC mm-hmm. I still think they have to win uh the Pac-12 championship to to guarantee a playoff berth I think if they lose they're out uh, yes. I think the committee would slide Ohio State back in but it was uh it was a good showing and I think uh you know we'll get into this later at the end of the episode but uh, may have submitted a Heisman winner. Oh, absolutely. Um, I think I think Caleb Williams. I think Caleb Williams is going to be the front runner for the Heisman Trophy. He has done really well. He's put up big numbers. I think being in the Pac-12 kind of helps because the defense there isn't that great. But man, listen. Notre Dame could only put up 21 points. Drew Pine did throw for 300 yards, but they could not get anything going on the ground. I was really surprised how Notre Dame really struggled to run the football. Um, I know they had to pass it towards the end of the game, but I just think they were outgunned. Uh, USC just looked like they were more athletic, more they – they had better athletic guys than Notre Dame, and – USC made them pay for it. And so, yes, the Trojans get the jeweled shillelagh back and are uh, potentially in the in a playoff berth. I think they uh, have a good shot. Uh, we'll stick with uh, the West Coast going to the Civil War. Uh, beaver fever, baby. Beaver fever. I, 
hey, I called this one. Give me this one, yeah, please. You did. Okay. You did. I did. I said Oregon State's probably I, – I did like Oregon State here. Um, probably and, felt a little bit nervous about it when they were down Oh, I was 10, really huh? nervous. I saw 31-10. <laughs> I was like, oh, man, I really missed that one. And then here's the thing. Oregon State did not panic. They continued to just run the football down Oregon's throat. It was like – it was literally like watching a Rocky um, – like a Rocky movie where like Apollo Creed is just beating Rocky and then Rocky just kind of rope-a-dopes him and then they're all tired and he just keeps coming with the bombs. And that's what kind of happened here. Uh, Oregon State didn't panic, kept running the football, got some stops. The biggest one, Oregon went for it on their own 29. So dumb. So dumb. They should have punted. They sh- I understand Oregon State has the momentum, but don't give them the short field. They're going to run the football. Give them, make them drive long on you. Um, didn't like that call. Um, they wore down the Ducks. Got the the go ahead touchdown was a microcosm of the game where he wasn't in, and then those offensive linemen just pushed him in. Um, Beaver fever, baby. Um, I wish that I wish the whole stadium would have been um, filled there. I think they're doing renovations to the left, to the one side. Yeah, the to the to the uh, visitor side, uh, the, they're yeah. doing renovation, and mm-hmm. you know that stadium is going to be nice once it's done. It's really kind of a good view up there in Corvallis. I it mean, is. you get some, uh, you know, you know how I felt about my Pacific Northwest the part of the country. And the elevation. Uh, well, I don't know how is high. it elevated. I don't think Corvallis is too high. Let me check. Uh, but you know, hats off to Jonathan Smith. Uh, he's a guy that played quarterback at Oregon state. Uh, this is, you know, maybe similar to what, uh, Arizona state is hoping they get with, with Dillingham. Right. Uh, he knows, he knows Oregon state football. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's been, you know, slowly building up that program. Obviously you have some rough years to start 2018, 2019, 2020, you're below 500. 2021, you go to a bowl game for the first time. And then this year, I mean, they were competitive with everybody except for uh, Utah. I mean, mm-hmm. they're a field goal away from USC. They're a very tough football team. And he's made Corvallis a, a tough place to play. Uh, <clears throat> and I think it'll only get tougher once they're able to have uh, have people on both sides of the stadium, right? Uh, oh, yeah. The, the chainsaw going, I mean... Uh, so it is only 235 feet of elevation. They're close enough to the coast where it's uh, a little lower down. Oh, okay. uh, but you do get some mountains there kind of in the uh, in the backdrop. Uh, but, yeah, Oregon State, I mean, yeah. you know, that, that fourth down was really kind of the, the thing that spelled the end for the Ducks. Uh, I think we as fans sometimes want our coaches to go for it more. That is one scenario where I can't Bond. really support that decision. Yeah. I mean, I will say, and I know we're not going to talk about Penn State, but there were like two instances where I was at the Penn State game. I was a little nervous. And I was like, I was just like, kick the field goal, just punt it. And then they converted both times. And I'm like, <laughs> oh, well, that's why I'm a big, dumb idiot. I am um, laughing at uh, the clip of Sean Clifford saying we have to cover. We have to cover. Yeah. <laughs> Joe, Joey Pop wants them investigated like Pete Rose. <laughs> um, but, yeah, it's – dude, I like I said, I've caught beaver fever. I've, I've had beaver fever for a while. Also, Jay, just letting you know, Oregon State 12-0 and at home against the spread. How about that? 
uh, pretty the impressive. last two years. Pretty impressive. Okay, that's pretty, uh, that's a thing to kind of might, might want to bet on later on. Yeah. Um, of course, the first time I pocket. will do. Exactly. Uh, of course, when I start betting that, uh, now that I've realized that, now I'm, I'm screwed because now they're they're not going to do it next year. But anyway, I've caught Beaver Fever, uh, knocked Oregon out of. They probably knocked Oregon out of the top ten. Good for good for you, us Penn State fans that are listening. Um, let's end our uh, preview, our our full preview, or sorry, uh, recap with your Aggies. I had more faith in your Aggies than you did, Jay. Now I knew they were going to cover. I did not know they were going to go money line on me. But AM with an upset against LSU, the perfect trap game. LSU already going to the SEC championship. AM was looking down. Um, but listen, this offense looked in sync. Yeah. Like, does that make it worse? It, it does because I think it, it proves a point that, that AM fans have griped about all year, which is that they. Jimbo tends to call his best games against top opponents. I mean, we saw it on the road at Alabama. A&M very nearly had a chance uh, to knock off the the Tide on the road uh, in what was certainly a revenge game for them. Uh, and then here at the end of the season with LSU, I mean, there was there was a few factors. I was at the the Tulsa University of Houston game kind of watching it on my phone in the stands. And, I mean, it was a packed house. Uh, night game FOMO? at Kyle Field. I, I had a little FOMO? bit of FOMO, but I, I was happy to be supporting a buddy uh, down in Houston. And it saved me a little bit of money, too, probably. Awesome. Uh, but <clears throat> when I looked at this, I mean, Devon A-Chain didn't necessarily need to play in this game. He's been banged up the last two games. And, uh, you know, it, it wouldn't have been... Uh, out of the realm of possibility for him to sit this one out, given what he's already given to the program. He decides to come back and just a Herculean effort. I mean, Mm. the thing about A-Chain is he's not the biggest back, but he runs through so many tacklers in in ways that you just kind of wouldn't expect, and he still has the the top-end speed that anybody dreams about having. I mean, uh, it, it was... A fantastic offensive performance. Wegman did what he needed to do. He looked good. He uh, looked solid. Yeah, I mean, the offensive line played better than they have all year. Uh, Moose Muhammad, I mean, I still, the whole Big thing with grabs. sitting him out against Auburn, I, I don't understand, but uh, there's probably some stuff inside the program that that's an issue with, but he had a fantastic contest. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, I mean... Pre-snap motion, we talk about it. Uh, I mean, whenever I, we go into the contest and, you know, I saw pre-snap motion on the first drive, I tweeted, that, oh, it's a pre-snap motion game. Jimbo must be getting in his bag. Right. Uh, and that, as, as weird as it sounds, that kind of gave me a little bit of hope. Uh, and certainly they they executed. And then the defense had a big uh, a touchdown on a, on a fumble by Jane Daniels, which gave A&M the lead. Uh, and you know they never looked back from there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and like, and that's the thing. Like, I don't understand why why A and M doesn't do more 
of pre-snap motion or window dressing. Cause like, it's one of those things, <laughs> like, again, I, 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 people who don't know, like you run pre-snap, um, like it, it's not, it, it's not for show. I mean, sometimes it, it, it kind of is, but most of the time it's to see what the other team is in, or, you know, Hey, if we motion here, this is what they're going to do. And then we can get a mismatch. And yeah. when you do things like that continually, that's how you get third down conversions. That's how you move the football. And Again, Jay, you know more than me, but is this a case of Jimbo Fisher, you know, um, over, not over coaching, but like, I don't know, does he only do it when he feel like he has to? Like, why doesn't he do it more? Like, and I think that's the question we don't know. That's the question that we're asking in Aggieland constantly, because he definitely has it in his bag of tricks. Uh, There's obviously, you know, you look at the Alabama game last year. Uh, with an offense that was struggling. Uh, Zach Calzada, you know, hadn't had the best year. Uh, and then all of a sudden, he looks like a hero against Alabama. Uh, this year, I mean, you know, Haynes King's struggles are, are well documented. He looked a lot better against Alabama using the pre-snap motion. And Wegman, who I think is an improvement over both those guys, no offense to either of them. I just think Wegman has the tools that, that maybe they don't have. Uh this it looked great. I mean, and then you know, again, I I can't harp on this enough. Devon A. Chain. I mean, what an effort. I mean, that yeah. that was uh, that was just fun to watch, and and the oh, fact yeah. that he closed out the game there at the end with a couple first downs too was just uh, it was poetic. Uh, I I don't think we'll see him back at A and M next year. I think he'll go to the draft and and and. You know, more power to him, especially as a running back, just because of the uh, lack of longevity of the position. Uh, go make your money, young man. Yep. No, it was great effort. Won me some money. So that was nice, too. Um, and it helped my percentage for this year. That is currently at 58% for the people that are counting. Um, all right, other notables. Kansas State handles, handles Kansas. Uh, Florida State beats Florida. Uh, listen, Jay, uh Florida State beats Florida by seven. Uh, Florida State fans storm the field. Fair or foul? Uh, you know what? I don't mind it. If, if you're playing your rival and you haven't beat them in a while, They've go been ahead through a it. lot. They've been through a lot. Let them have some fun. If they do it in two years, the, they, they can't do it next time. And I don't think they will. But no. unless it's like a, Florida ends up being really, really good. But – yeah. Or if it's like an overtime deal where there's just so much energy that you can't help it. 74-72. Oh, no, wait. I'm sorry. The NCAA took that away from us. Um, <laughs> it could still happen. I mean, can you imagine? It could technically still go, happen. Go to like 15 overtimes. Yeah. And you just... Just or like, like nine more... overtimes. You know, uh, if you go, let's say like Illinois is playing somebody and, and you go to like nine overtimes. And someone, really... in, someone in the Northeast, right? Yeah. <laughs> Uh, I was thinking of like, or like Oregon state and, uh, I don't know who's another run heavy team, Oregon state and army are just going to play, just get two point conversions every time, <laughs> you know? Um, all right. Uh, UCF survives USF. Listen, uh, South Florida got screwed here. This was the one I looked at this game and I said, 
I don't think the I don't think the your coach was just fired. I'm gonna bet on you. I don't think that applies to this team because they're so bad. And it almost happened. And USF should have won. That yeah. I don't believe. I don't that catch at the end of the game, it didn't look it what I don't think it was a catch. And for them to say, I, I don't know. I, I just don't think it was a catch. I think USF got screwed. Um, but UCF putting together another good year. Gus Malzahn possibly can get possibly can get into that Cotton Bowl bid if they beat Tulane. I don't know if they will, but um, something that could definitely happen. Yeah. Uh, these two teams hate each other is something that I found out. Like oh, there's yeah. a, some strong dislike between Central Florida and South Florida. Oh, I love it. Too. Uh, so I guess it's not super surprising that this game was closer than it should have been, mm-hmm. just given the level of hatred. Uh, Texas beat Baylor, uh, gave them a, a chance to to get to the Big Twelve title if Kansas had won, but uh, you know Texas just it, it's constantly on the edge. It's a lot of edging going on in Austin. Uh, Seems like they're on the verge of a breakthrough. They almost beat Bama earlier in the year. Mm-hmm. They play TCU somewhat tough. Uh, but, you know, it's just it's a matter of time, I think, before they get, God help me, back. Uh, but you said it. Yeah, Not I me. know. I mean, it's just there's always going to have the talent. They're always going to be just, you know, a couple pieces away from being a national title contender. That's just the, the the truth about the talent that's at Texas. When will they ever put it together? I don't know. It could be 10 years down the road, but they'll always be on the verge. Uh, with Baylor, a little bit of a disappointing season after you know mm-hmm. being the Big 12 champs. Uh, it'll be interesting to see where they go from here. The thing about Baylor, too, is uh, pre-Art Bryles, that program was horrible. It's like, awful. Like historically, they are a bad football program. They yeah. got they got you know obviously everything that went on with Art Bryles. Yeah. There was a lot of success there. They got lucky with Matt Rule, and then they get lucky with Dave Aranda stepping into a situation mm-hmm. and and able to to be uh, a very very good replacement for somebody that built the program back up. Mm-hmm. Uh, We'll see what happens from here, but uh, you know, I don't. I wouldn't be too concerned with Aranda if I was a Baylor no. fan. I, I don't. I'm not. I'm not concerned. Um, I'm not concerned with Dave Aranda. I think Dave Aranda is a f- really good football coach. I think this year is a bit of a let. Obviously, this year is a letdown. I think. I think it's like. I think it's like a wake up call of oh. Okay, things can go wrong sometimes, you know? Like, it's not going to be competing for Big 12 championships everywhere. But I think they're going to be a well-coached football team. Again, I like Dave Aranda. Um, But like you said, Baylor was a terrible football program. Like, forever. Uh, Until Arp Riles and RG3 and and that whole thing, you know. And I think that success really has put Baylor in a better spot. They have a better – I don't even remember. Was there – was there wasn't their stadium like really crappy before the new one? Yeah, Floyd Casey uh, was not a great stadium, and it was also off campus. Uh, yeah, so like where they got that's a recipe McClain. for yeah yeah. I mean, so it was terrible. very 
it was very not great. And there's also some other factors that go into it. I mean, you have the whole Chip and Joanne thing going on in Waco that, that made Waco at least a little bit more desirable. But uh, Wait, wait. Wait, you talking about the Koresh thing? Or, wait, what? No, 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 no. Chip and Joanne are the like the shiplap people, the, the home renovation people uh, that are based out of Waco. Oh, okay. Yeah, no, no, no. no. Oh. David Koresh, that's the... Uh, no, I know. I was just like, wait, wait, wait. Yeah, that that was the. Yeah, we're not we're not the, talking about the uh, the the, you know, the FBI shootout or the the Twin Peaks shootout uh, with the biker gangs. I, I was going to uh, say, Joanne are actually a positive influence on the yeah. Waco community. Yeah, okay, well, good. <laughs> debatable. Uh, if you're not a fan of shiplap, it's uh, it's actually it's actually sad that like like if you ask anyone like if you ask a random person name something associated with Waco, Texas. Everybody, like I would say, eighty percent of the people would say David Koresh, like oh, hundred percent shootout. It's like it's like oh, Baylor's in Waco. That's like oh, I thought that was just like yeah. Um, anyway, uh, let's get back on track a little bit. Um, but yeah, it's it seems like Baylor right now is in a lot better spot than they were ten years ago or twenty years ago, um, without a doubt. No concern with Rana, but it's just the hey, there's going to be some bumps in the road every now and again um and then lastly uh purdue wins the west purdue wins the west listen i had purdue second i thought i was gonna win the west um purdue ends up winning it they're gonna go play michigan probably going to get killed um but who knows the hey listen when purdue 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 is also unranked by the way going into a big 12 big 10 championship game Against a team that is ranked in the top ten, the Boilers have the Wolverines right where they want them. It is a recipe for disaster. <laughs> the spoiler, With that being said, I think no matter what happens, uh, Michigan's still in the playoff. Even yes, if they lost uh, this, I think they're still in the playoffs. I think they are too. Also, actually, uh, just, what? I'll just go ahead and say it: uh, Georgia, Michigan, TCU should all be in the playoff, even if they lose. The only I think one USC is. is yeah, oh, I think USC is the only one if they lose. Not given to uh, okay. will be eliminated. Okay, we're going to talk a little bit about that later on. Also, uh, ta- talking about other things, college athletics related. What, Jay? I don't know if you're familiar, but um, or if you know, what a weekend for Purdue sports. By the way, um, beat West Virginia basketball, beat beat Gonzaga and Duke by twenty some, and then gets the oaken bucket from Indiana and will be playing in the big big 10 championship game. What a weekend to be a boilermaker. Um now, let's get into our championship weekend spread. Uh this is all of the championship games cuz we don't discriminate on this podcast. Every championship game is created equal. Um, we love our group of 5 guys. We love the group of 5 guys. Okay, and our group of five teams, and that's where we're going to start. Friday, North Texas at UTSA in the Alamo Dome. UTSA is a eight and a half point favorite. Jay, you've kind of been on the North Texas uh, Eagles, or sorry, the the Mean Green uh, for a little bit this year, but they're going up against Trailer and your Roadrunners. Yeah, I mean, so here's the thing with North Texas: is they've been just kind of a little bit up and down. Uh, you don't really know what version of the team you're going to get week to week. UTSA has been a lot more consistent. 
and I think what Jeff Taylor's done there is, is nothing short of impressive. Uh, both of these teams headed for the American Conference. Uh, so we'll see, you know, what happens there down the road. But uh, I, I like I like UTSA in this one. I was going to try to make it over to the Alamo Dome uh, to go watch this, but with it being a Friday night game, I'm not going to be able to leave my office in time uh, to get from Houston to San Antonio. It's about a two-and-a-half hour drive. Uh, that would put me there right at kickoff, and uh, I don't really yeah, want to make that. <laughs> That'll be tough. Um, I, I don't know. I I like UTSA definitely to win. North Texas is way too inconsistent. Um, both these teams going to the American. I think it's great for UTSA. I don't know if I love it for North Texas. I think North Texas. Should, I I just think that's just too much for them right now. But with Cincinnati, Houston, UCF leaving, you know maybe it'll be more competitive. I don't know. Um. Also, Friday night, the nightcap, Pac-12 after dark, Utah versus USC. Um, this is going to be in Vegas. Uh, USC is a two-point favorite. I like the Trojans here. I know I- I'm rooting for the Utes because I want Penn State in that Rose Bowl. And if USC gets out, I think that makes the way for Ohio State to get back in. So I'm rooting for the Utes. But I think USC gets their revenge here and – they avenge their previous loss. Yeah, I think 82. Uh, I also think USC is just playing better football right now. Uh, Defensively, Utah, they are. Yeah, yeah, Utah absolutely destroyed Colorado coming into this one. But, yeah, I think USC will stick with the Friday night. One game that isn't a championship game oh, but is right. happening. Uh, Akron and Buffalo. Buffalo has a chance to get to 500 to qualify for big. a bowl. So uh, we'll see what happens with that one. Uh, Akron, Akron just uh, destroyed, destroyed Northern, Northern Illinois, which I did not see coming at all. Northern uh, Illinois has been bad. Rocky Lombardi got hurt, and this team has imploded. I lost lost some money on them with a future. Um, so yeah, Akron. Well, they've, been, they've been bad, but they've been somewhat competitive. I mean, they're losing, you know, by a score here and there. Mm-hmm. Uh, you look at the early season, you know, you lose to a good Tulsa team uh, that's mm-hmm. always yeah. competitive. You lose to yep. Vanderbilt, who's been improved. You lose yep. to Kentucky by one score. Mm-hmm. So it's not like they lost some bad teams. I mean, that's it's a tough stretch there. It is. Uh, Ball State, you lose in double overtime. Toledo outclassed you, but Toledo is also the, the Mac the West, West champion. Champ. Uh, they blow out Northern Eastern Michigan. They lose to Ohio, who's the MAC East champion, by one mm-hmm. score. They lose to Central Michigan, beat Western Michigan, and then lose to Miami of Ohio by one score. So that's why They're that games. that's why that Akron blowout loss, a bad Akron team, is just surprising to me. Yeah. Uh, but anyways, <laughs> no, I get it. That's my Northern Illinois tangent. Uh, Take Buffalo here. Uh, Bull, got Bulls. To play for. Akron, Akron is also riding high off that big win. Usually when you have that, you're going to have a little bit of a letdown. Um, Akron's season is made with that win. So, yeah, I like Bulls here. Um, let's get to Saturday. Uh, we're going to stay in the MAC too. Great transition. Toledo at Ohio. Uh, Ohio is a four-point favorite. Uh, this, game's being playing, this game is being played in Detroit um, where the – I think was a Ford. Yeah, Ford Field. I like Toledo because Ohio's quarterback is out. I believe O'Rourke Rourke is done for the year. Um, if Rourke plays, 
I like Ohio in that air raid offense that they've been doing, but I believe Rourke is gone. His backup, I can't think of his name right now, played all right last week against Bowling Green, but I I, I think Toledo is a, a better football team. I like Rockets. I'd like Rockets to cover. If Rourke ends up playing, though, I like Ohio, but no Rourke, Toledo. So the, the the MAC championship played in Detroit uh, at Ford Field, I think, uh, but it's going to take away some of our favorite uh, factor in MAC late season, uh, which is the weather. I know. Uh, unfortunate, very unfortunate. Very. But unfortunate. Uh, why does I, I agree every with... MAC game look cold? <laughs> it doesn't matter if the game's in September or November. Every time you have a MAC game at on like at night it always looks cold i think it just won't, feels right won't look cold won't look cold on saturday though yeah because it's in the yeah uh but toledo uh as well with the rourke out i think uh i gotta go with the rockets hats off to ohio though nine and three season chance at 10 wins it's pretty impressive hey that's one of penn state's best wins this year yeah. ohio <laughs> <laughs> there you go uh, uh kansas state tcu uh, a rematch murder in the year. Going to be a lot of purple in Arlington. Lots of purple. Uh, a lot of purple. Uh, look, TCU, I think, is just uh, they've got too much to play for. I like I like the Horned Frogs in this one. I don't think the, the perfect season ends here. Uh, and again, I think regardless of what happens in the, the, the playoff or in the conference championships, I think TCU's done enough to, to cement themselves as a playoff team. Uh, you know, they've handled adversity all season and mm-hmm. you, you make it to the conference championship in a power five conference and you have no losses. The next team behind now, the one scenario I could see TCU falling out is if TCU loses USC wins and then you have Ohio State with one loss there. That does worry me for the Horned Frogs a little bit. Uh, mm-hmm. But I think that they deserve to be in the playoff with what they've done. I I want to take Kansas State really bad. Like, I, I really do. I... Um, Man, see, I don't know. I mean, age. Oh, I want to take Kansas State. I do. I'm going to take Kansas State plus two. There you go. I'm going to do it. I'm going to take Kansas State plus two. I think this is the game that's going to catch up to TCU. Um, It is hard to beat the same team twice. It is really hard to beat the same team twice. What was the score of that game? 38-28. So, I mean, they're they're in that game. Um, listen, Howard, Will Howard playing, you know, good football for Kansas State, playing really well. Um, again, backup, technically backup quarterback to Adrian Martinez, but he has um, – he has um, – what's it called? He has a really good experience, um, first-team experience. He's had it before. So 
yeah, I like Kansas State plus two in that one. I mean, uh, coastal. Oh, or, no. Well, the only thing you I'll like- say is TCU is it's a lot shorter drive from Fort Worth to Arlington than it is from Manhattan, Kansas to Arlington. So that's something to think about. So you're talking about home game because it's like what five miles? Yeah, I think it's uh, I think it's like about ten twenty minutes from Fort Worth 10, to minutes. with to traffic. Jerry World. Yeah, yeah. Um, no, that that's also true. Uh, and I think TCU fans are going to be fired up for it as well. Obviously, yeah. um, a lot to play for. Oh no, I, I I just have a feeling. My only minus two, and it's practically a home game. I think I like Kansas State in it. Hard to beat a team twice. Yeah. I'll, I'm probably going to take Kansas plus two there. Um, Coastal at Troy for the Sun Belt. Troy is a seven and a half point favorite, and I like I like Troy in this game. So well. I see I Troy think, at minus ten. Uh, wow, really? And I think that it shot up that much. Yeah, Grayson McCall out just kills Coastal's chances. Uh, mm-hmm. well, so they got boat race by James Madison. Yeah, uh, free James Madison by the way. Yes, free James Madison. I'm having a problem with the petition. Uh, apparently, you need like I thought you could just make a petition for any ever and like for anything. And this is taking me a lot longer than I thought it was going <laughs> to uh, about freeing James Madison. Uh, I'm going to try. I'm going to still try and get that out. But uh, yeah, I like I like Troy here. Um, oh, man, I wish I would have pulled the trigger when I saw seven and a half. I didn't know it went up that much. Yeah, Troy, Troy would be a one loss team uh, were it not for that hail mary that Appalachian State had uh, oh against God, the Trojans. That's right. I mean, and their one loss would be to Ole Miss by 18, so not not a yeah. terrible, terrible loss. Uh, yeah. You know, the group of five guys are saying it, and I think I'm inclined to agree. The committee should rank Troy. They should rank Troy. Absolutely. Um, they 100% should rank Troy. Um, you know, apps, you mentioned App State. They've quietly had a bad year this year, and I know that opens up bad wounds for you, Jay, because – they beat A and M, but like they're six and six, like, and they're not a bowl eligible six and six because really? two of their wins uh, have been FCS opponents, I believe. Who do they play? Uh, the Citadel and Robert Morris. They play, they play two. Yeah. Oh wow! So they okay. they're technically treated as a five and seven team. They're probably still going to get in though, because I don't think there's enough. I, I think it's going to be close, uh, but yeah, it's uh, wow, yeah. So not bowl eligible after Georgia Southern beats them in uh, in overtime. Clay Helen going bowling again. Going to be it's yeah. nice. Good for the Eagles. Um, LSU at Georgia, the SEC championship, or sorry, not at Georgia. Well, kind of is Atlanta uh, in Atlanta, <laughs> LSU, Georgia. Um, George is a 16 and a half point favorite. I don't know where this line is. I'm going to wait on this line because I think it's going to go up even more and I'm going to take LSU to cover, but Georgia wins. Yeah. And the one thing I do want to watch is Harold Perkins and Jaden Daniels both got banged up a little bit against A&M. Mm-hmm. Uh, those are probably their two best players. Uh, so we'll see if that, uh, makes a difference going forward. But, uh, for now, Georgia hasn't really been covering. Uh, they haven't been. They didn't cover against Kentucky. They didn't cover against Georgia Tech. I had Georgia Tech plus 36. That was I love uh, it. 
<laughs> fun one to cash on. Yeah. But uh, yeah, we'll see what uh, we'll see what happens. I, I personally am staying away from the spread for now. Uh, Mountain Best Fresno at Boise State. Inevitable the rumors of Boise State's demise uh, were greatly exaggerated. Mm. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, it just seems like it's inevitable that it comes down to Fresno and Boise. Listen, I had Air Force in the beginning of the year. They kind of let me down a little bit. Uh, Fresno, um, Apple, it's going to be at Boise State. Boise, four and a half point favorites. And I like the Broncos to win the Mountain West again, reclaim their top, the re- reclaim the top of the Mountain Best. Also, kind of a rivalry, right? Would you consider this a rivalry game? I think you have to just because of the the stakes that these teams have met each other under. Mm-hmm. Uh, Boise State went 8-0 in conference, by the way. I mean, that's a, that's a pretty good performance. You lose really to Oregon State on the road. Mm-hmm. The, the one bad loss that, that Boise State did have uh, was UTEP on the road. Uh, the Ooh. UTEP loss doesn't look great. No. Uh, you know, oh, I remember, yeah, I remember watching that too. My mind kind of a weird one. It was. It's in the sun. It's in the Sun Bowl, right? Yeah. Yeah, but then you lose to you lose to UTEP, Oregon State, and BYU. So not, you know, the worst mm-hmm. little stretch. But you, you right. went undefeated in conference, so you're going back to the uh, Mountain West Championship, and you know, got a good chance to uh, to win it uh, at home against Fresno State, and. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, you, you you win and you get a ten win season. So if you're a Boise State fan, I think you have to be happy with that. Fresno State, after losing uh, Hainer early in the season, kind of, you know, he he made it back, but like you, you get the injury against USC, and it kind of looks like yeah, your season's going in the dumps. You have a loss to UConn uh, and get kind of blown out by Boise State on the road. Uh, which this again? This is another one where it's a rematch, uh, but you know they close it out strong. Uh, they beat Wyoming thirty to nothing at home, uh, and they're coming into this game with a lot of momentum. Should be an interesting one. Uh, Wait, hang on. Can I just say everything tells me I should take Boise minus four and a half, but after you're saying they got blown out already, Fresno got blown out already. Now I think I it was kinda, without Hainer, though. Now now they have Hainer. Yes. Oh, man. I think, I think I'm think i switching my pick. Fresno, give me the Bulldogs now. I'm switching it. Switching my pick. There you go. Give me, give me Fresno. Jake Hainer ends his career on top of the Mountain Best. There it is. There you go. Uh, Central Florida at Tulane. We've already talked about this one a little bit. Mm-hmm. Uh I'm taking Tulane. I just think it's going to be hard for UCF to go into New Orleans uh, and beat the Green Wave, even with all the Willie Fritz stuff uh, in the wings. Uh, I'm taking Tulane minus two and a half. Jeff, look what I'm. Uh, I know the listeners can't hear, but look what I'm wearing. Look what I'm wearing. Beautiful. I, I love. I love my Green Wave. My Green Wave. Uh, everything tells me to take Central Florida here. I'm rooting for Tulane. I am. I'm not going to bet on this game, but if I was, I would take Central Florida. I'm rooting for Tulane. I'm not going to bet the game, but 
I would take Central Florida because you could always do the emotional hedge like I did uh, with LSU against A&M. <laughs> so you win no matter what. <laughs> you yeah. get something no matter what. Um, yeah, I don't believe in it that, but yeah, I, I would take UCF two and a half here. It's harder to beat a team twice. I usually do that in these championship games, and um, it is at Tulane. But I think Central Florida got a little bit of a wake up call last week against South Florida. So, okay. but yeah, uh, Purdue, Michigan. In Indianapolis, where the Big Ten reigns supreme, uh, Purdue minus sixteen and a half or plus sixteen and a half. Sorry, that would be kind of wild, wouldn't it? Uh, <laughs> Purdue plus sixteen and a half. Uh, I like the Boilermakers to cover in a very chaotic game because it's the Boilermakers against the top ten team. I also like Boilermakers to cover plus sixteen and a half. Um, now, Aiden O'Connell. I don't know if you saw this, Jay. Some tragic news with his family. He lost his older brother. Um, I'm not sure if he found that out before or after the old buck, uh, old buck and, uh, old Oak and bucket game. Um, but you know, Jeff Brown, very emotional talking about it. Um, Aiden's going through some things now. I, I don't know if he's going to play in the game. Um, if he doesn't, you know, that's very understandable. If you very lose an older, if you lose an older sibling, um, but man, Purdue just, it's just one of those teams that you just – the spoiler makers are real. And I think if Aiden O'Connell plays, okay, this is going to set up for one of those magic Purdue nights. And I think everyone's writing them off. I, I think they have enough offensive weapons to match up against Michigan. I am a little worried about their defense. But Purdue's getting 16 and a half. I think I'm going to take it. I'll take Purdue Boilermakers plus 16 and a half. Um, lastly, ACC championship game, Clemson versus North Carolina in Charlotte. North Carolina is a seven and a half point underdog. Clemson all day long. They are going to control the trenches. They're going to score points and they're going to shut down North Carolina. Clemson big. Yeah, Clemson's going to just take out all their frustrations from last week against South Carolina uh, and plant them firmly on North Carolina's forehead. Uh, this one's not going to be close. No, absolutely not. Uh, get that line now. Get it now, 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 now. The, as soon as you're li- – su- right, right now, the person listening to this right now, you need to open your phone, go out whatever sports book you have, and you need to bet whatever Clemson is now because it's just going to go up. Um, and that is championship week. Um, before we leave, Jay, Heisman candidates. I got Caleb Williams as a front runner. Um, I also want to talk about a guy not getting enough respect is Bijan Robinson. Bijan Robinson should be in uh, New York for the Heisman. I think I think Caleb Williams is definitely the winner, but I do agree with you that Bijan Robinson should be in New York. Uh, do you think do you give Bryce Young an invite? I think I would give Bryce Young an invite, but I give him an invite. But I think the invites—I'm trying to think off the top of my head here. I would say Bijan Robinson. I say Caleb Williams. I would still give an invite to Hendon Hooker. I know he yeah. got hurt, but he—he has 100% deserved it. He's not going to win, but he deserves to be in New York City. Those three. Um, Stroud, 
Yeah, I could see C.J. Stroud. Uh, and maybe Drake May, maybe Corum. I wouldn't put Corum. I, I listen. I love Blake Corum. I love Mo Ibrahim. Mo Ibrahim is outstanding. I would give it. I would give it. Oh man, I would give it to Ibrahim or Drake May. Those two guys. Um, okay. Another one, possibly Max Duggan, maybe a little bit. Uh, I don't eh, think he has maybe, stats, maybe, yeah, maybe he hasn't done enough. As a but player, no, I Drake, love what he's done. I love Hacksaw, Max Duggan, love him. Um, yeah. So those are my those are my people. I deserve to be in New York. I know I gave you six people, but I don't care. Um, Caleb Williams, though, I think is is your guy. Sounds about right. Anyone yeah, else I that I didn't Caleb say Williams. that you think that maybe deserves to be in there that I forgot about? Uh, no, I can't get anybody off the top of my head. I mean, I think we've named just about everybody. Maybe Chase Brown. I don't know. He's an interesting one from Illinois. I love Chase Brown, but no. Also, just saying, I, I, because it's not an episode of this podcast without me talking about SEC bias, but if Mo Ibrahim played for, I don't know, give me a middle tier SEC team. Ole Miss. Yeah, but they have Judkins. But again, he's a freshman. But yeah, I think if Mo Ibrahim had this, if he was played for Ole Miss or like Auburn, I know Tank's there. But if Mo Ibrahim played and had those stats and had those 100 yard games against everyone else, um, I think he'd be propped up a lot more. Um, yeah. Oh, that's another game we forgot about. Minnesota gets the Paul Bunyan axe. Big win for P.J. Fleck. I think that's the first time he's ever won. <laughs> that um, closing sequence for Wisconsin was pretty damn near disastrous. That's what – hey, listen, that's Wisconsin offense, baby. Um, <laughs> all right, here we go. Uh, ending episode with top uh, – the, the playoff scenarios. Jay, you've hit on this already. The only team you say that is not safe is USC this week. Yeah, and I think – TCU has some worries too, but for me, I think that uh, the three teams that are undefeated going into their conference championship deserve to be in, Mm -hmm. Uh, and that's Georgia, Michigan, TCU. I think Georgia and Michigan are in no matter what. TCU, I think, has some worries. I don't think they should, but I think they do have some. Uh, USC, if they win, they're in. If they lose, Ohio State's in. TCU can't get – I don't think Georgia or Michigan will get – killed as long as tcu doesn't get boat raced i think they're in um usc if usc loses who do you put in it's got to be ohio state right ohio state yeah it's ohio the next state. team up the next team up on the rankings is going to be alabama and so help me god if alabama gets in with two losses uh, yeah to two teams that are out of the top 10 right now yep shouldn't be in should nope. not be in Alabama should not be in. If Alabama is in, it is only because they have numbers on their helmet and their helmet is crimson. That is the only reason why that if they get in. Um, I'm glad LSU lost because get them out of there. Get Brian Kelly and his family out of there. You're welcome. Uh, yeah, there you go. Thank you, Jay. Um, so, yeah, you, uh, listen, I would love a USC loss to knock them out because that means Penn State goes to the Rose Bowl. Against USC. Oh no, they would play. They would play Utah. 
because they'll they'd be put the they put the champ in there and I like that because Penn State I have like Penn State chances against Utah a lot better than I don't know. I just have a bad listen, I've seen Penn State play in two Rose Bowls that I couldn't remember. Okay, they they played in 94. I was like 2 years old. I, I they blew out Oregon. But I've seen Penn State play in two Rose Bowls and they lost to USC both times. So every time Penn State ready Penn, to play somebody else. Yeah, uh, it's like it all comes rush coming back. Um, although I would like to have a win against USC, and that that would be huge for Penn State if they can have a a big time win, big time Rose Bowl win. It, that'd be huge for the program. So very much rooting for the Utes, the Utes, as Joe Pesci said in my cousin Vinny classic movie. You got to watch it. Um, Jay, anything to leave the people today with? Uh. You know, it's uh, the coaching carousel will continue to turn. So uh, just keep your eyes to that. And uh, shouts out to the U.S. Men's National Team for their draw with England. I don't think anybody gave the U.S. Men's National Team a fighting chance. Uh, and now if they beat Iran on uh, Tuesday, they're on to the round of 16. Woo! Love it. Play real American and every patriotic song you can you can play because the U.S. men's national team is going to beat Iran and they're going to go on to the second round. Book it. Uh, keep eyes peeled for the coaching carousel. There probably, as you're listening to this, someone has already been fired. Um, so, or someone's going to take a new job. So keep your eyes peeled throughout the entire week championship week this week, guys, enjoy it. There are only so many college football games left. And as always, have a great week.